Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. The number one problem in America today is the dysfunctional family. You see what happens, we are brought up in a dysfunctional family, we marry a dysfunctional mate who was brought up in a dysfunctional family, and we in turn bring up children who are dysfunctional, who in turn get married, and on and on the cycle goes until something supernatural happens and breaks the sickness and the sin that is involved. The truth is, healing is possible no matter how deep your family wounds go. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Overcoming a Dysfunctional Family and shares how you can bring healing and renewal to your home. So stay with us. That encouraging message is coming up on The Winning Walk. Here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Overcoming a Dysfunctional Family. So we're beginning a study that is somewhat devastating. It was to me as I prepared it. It's on parenting. You might say, I'm a single adult. It doesn't apply to me. I assure you that it does. You need to be a minister to those who have children and to children And one day you might get married and have children. And also, we all need to understand something about the family constellations in which we were reared. If you are married and you do not have children, what a time of preparation. If you have children, this should be right on target. If there's an empty nest or you're a grandparent, how timely this would be as you look back as I have done and see the many mistakes that you made and the many things you perhaps did A-OK. And if you're a teenager or a child here, it's a wonderful thing that you can see how you fit in and you can be of an assistant kind of way to help your parents have the kind of relationship they need to bring you up in the way that God planned for you to grow and develop. So this is a very important study. The first two times, this Sunday and next Sunday, are introductory in nature. This is the foundation, this Sunday and next Sunday. And then I'll proceed with 10 commandments of parenting. 10 principles, I believe, are absolutes. They are immutable. They're not optional, they're not if, and maybe perhaps they are absolutely embedded in the Word of God. And the amazing thing is they work every time they're put into practice. So it's going to be a tough pilgrimage for many of us. It's been tough for me. Also, it's going to be a challenging pilgrimage as the Holy Spirit, I pray, works in your heart, in your life, in my heart and in my life. So, our principal text is Proverbs chapter number 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, 6, I want us to read it together. Very familiar passage, New American Standard. I think we can read it in unison. It is on the screen if you did not bring your Bible. 
Proverbs 22, 6. Here we go. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's do it again. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's prepare for the teaching of God's Word. Father, touch us in deep areas of our lives. Plunge to the depths in this quiet moment. And may there be nothing that will distract us in this solemn place as we look to you. Do a healing, forgiving, supernatural work among us. You speak and let me get out of the way. For this is our corporate prayer made in the strong, personal, saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. No families are perfect. Do you remember when you discovered that your mom and dad were not perfect? I remember that experience. I thought they were absolutely bulletproof. But when I awakened one day and said, you know, my mother is not perfect. My dad is not perfect. The bottom line is there are no perfect families because we live in a fallen world and we're surrounded by fallen people and we are a part of this fallen world and we're surrounded by many situations that are very, very unhealthy and the sickness that pervades the family today is contagious and many of us have caught it and many of us have the disease. A lot of families are in trouble. They are in big time trouble and the troubles cover a whole gamut of things. Some are in economic difficulty. Some are in conflict difficulty. Some have come to the point there seems to be no way out of the trap. In some families there is abuse, there's sexual abuse. There is verbal abuse. There is physical abuse. In a lot of families there is conflict so deep between parents and in-laws and outlaws and children and grandchildren and uncles and aunts and siblings and on and on it goes. And so we see that many families in our society are dysfunctional. That's a relatively modern term. I asked someone recently, what does the word mean? And they said, well, it means non-functioning. Oh, no. A non-functioning family is one thing, but a dysfunctional family, the word dis means dangerous. It means a family that is dangerously functioning. And where there is addiction, and where there is insensitivity, where there is pious legality, where there is shame, that's the operative word of most dysfunctional families. If any member of the family is engulfed with some kind of overwhelming problem or idiosyncrasy, the other members of the family have a sense of shame about the conduct 
or about the lifestyle of that individual, and there's a giant covering up. There's a giant explaining away. Dad is like this because, or mother is like this because, or this, this brother or sister is like this because. And all of us are caught up in the giant cover-up. And therefore, our feelings are hidden, and we take our feelings how we really feel, and they're, they're stuffed down inside of us. And we can't let them get out. And therefore, we are a part and product of a dysfunctional situation. Sometimes it can be pious legalism. Uh, sometimes it can be a whole lot of different things. But the bottom line is the family is functioning dangerously. Let me make this statement. The number one problem in America today is the dysfunctional family. You name any situation we are grappling with in the United States, and it can trace it back without exception to a family that is functioning dangerously, to a dysfunctional family. Now, how do you know when a family is functioning dangerously? I have looked at several surveys and I want to give you 16 reasons, devastating reasons in my judgment. When you know a family is in trouble, a family is in trouble when 60% of the children born in the 90s lived in a single parent home for part of their childhood. The family is in trouble when one-fourth of the girls in the United States and one-tenth of the boys have been sexually abused. The family is in trouble when three out of every five teens try an illicit drug. The family is in trouble when 10% of adolescent boys and 18% of adolescent girls have made some attempt to take their own life. The family is in trouble when 72% of Americans' teens have had sexual intercourse by their senior year. The family is in trouble when sexually active high school boys report that they lost their virginity at an average age of 13.3, while sexually active girls report an average age of 14.6. We're in trouble when more than one million teenage girls in the United States, one in 10 under the age of 20, become pregnant every year. We're in trouble when 40% of 14-year-old girls will become pregnant at least once before they are 20. We're in trouble when 2.5 million new cases of adolescent sexually transmitted diseases are reported each year. We're in trouble when 9 out of 10 teens will have experimented with alcohol by the time they reach their senior year in high school and 30 9% will get drunk at least once every two weeks. We're in trouble when 72% of adolescent murders are from fatherless homes. We're in trouble when 70% of long-term prison inmates come from fatherless homes. We're in trouble when over 25 million children under the age of 18 are growing up in a home without their dad. We're in trouble when we're more concerned with the rights and personal fulfillment of adults than the emotional health of our children. We're in trouble when more than 40% of American adults have no weekly contact with their children. 
We're in trouble when the average mother spends less than 17 minutes a day in meaningful interaction with any of their teenage children, and the fathers spend less than seven minutes per day. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, the American family is in trouble. 17 of the most recent shooters, they have done a profile of all 17, extensive research. You know what they discovered? Not a single one of the 17 shooters, not a single one of them had anything but a casual or absolutely no relationship with their father. All 17 of them. Recently, AT&T did a study of all of its corporate executives. They did an extensive survey. They asked the question, what brings more tension into your life than any other thing? They thought the answer would be the job, the employees, the corporate breakups, the insecurity in the marketplace. You know what the overwhelming majority answered? Family. Wife, husband, children, family. Another multinational corporation met with 150 of its top executives, and they asked the following question. Interesting, interesting question. They asked, first of all, how many of you have had skills training for the job you now hold? Every hand went up. Second question, how many of you have had any training for marriage? One hand went up. Third question, how many of you have had any training for parenthood? One hand went up. And I have a feeling if we took a survey today of the five or 6,000 people who are in worship here in this service, the three to 4,000 we had last night, the four to 5,000 we'll have in a service following this one, they would be the same kind of percentage. Let me tell you something. We are going to have training in parenthood. Parenthood. Now, I don't think I have to build a further preamble upon the facts that the American family is in trouble, do I? Do you see it? And a part of us can sit back piously and say, boy, I, I wish Billy was here and I wish my wife would listen to this, my husband or my son or my daughter or my grandchildren. Let me tell you something. I want everybody to apply what is said to number one. You've got a full-time job. I have a full-time job trying to recover and trying to deal with some things in my life and in my past, in my background, in my upbringing, in the rearing of my children, in the pointing of my grandchildren, in the relationship now with my wife, in a parenting posture. It goes on and on and on. So we see the problem, the number one problem in America is a dysfunctional family. It's families functioning dangerously. Genesis chapter number 12 through chapter number 50 tells the story of a dysfunctional family through three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you want to be healed, 
of the scars you have caused, of the scars that you have felt, of the family in which you were brought up, or the family in which you brought up your children, or the family in which you are now rearing your children, listen carefully during the next two and a half months. Genesis 12 through Genesis 50 tells a devastating story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they passed on their besetting sin and the dysfunctional aspects of family living. You see what happens. We are brought up in a dysfunctional family. We marry a dysfunctional mate who was brought up in a dysfunctional family, and we in turn bring up children who are dysfunctional, who in turn get married, and on and on the cycle goes until something supernatural happens and breaks the sickness and the sin that is involved. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about. Do you remember the commercial Kodak moments? Well, they had a tremendous commercial, I thought, and here's the father and he's coming out with a, with a baby in his arms that has just been born. He has on the medical green suit, and he comes out with a baby, and click, Kodak moment. Then you have the same father that's feeding the little girl, and he has baby food all over him, and the baby has baby food all over her, and click, Kodak moments. And then when he's teaching the little girl how to ride a bicycle, and they're going down the street, and click, Kodak moment. And then when the girl goes off on her date and he's asleep on the couch waiting for, for her to come back in, click, Kodak moments. And then when she gets married and he is standing there and he's about to give her away and she's looking in the eyes of the groom and tears are coming down her face and he's looking at his daughter, now a grown-up beautiful young lady, and tears are in his eyes, click, Kodak moments. You can take those Kodak moments in your life and in your family as you were being brought up, as you were bringing up children in the future, and you can determine a great deal about the character and the personality of that family person, of that particular individual. Let's take Jacob, and we'll look at him more next week and see how the dysfunctional aspect of his family and his upbringing and his marriage relationships and the bringing of his children. But we'll look at it briefly, and we'll try to determine something about the personality of Jacob in these Kodak moments. First of all, let's look at Genesis chapter 25. Don't open it in your Bibles. Don't open it in your Bibles, but you can read it. In Genesis chapter 25, Jacob's twin brother Esau was coming home from hunting, and he was starving. He felt like he was starving to death, and he says, Jake, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, if you'll sell me your birthright. The eldest child got twice the inheritance of any other child, a double portion, and that's exactly what Jacob was bargaining for. And so Esau said, well, if I'm dead, my birthright don't do me any good. You can have my birthright. Just give me a bowl of stew. And so he sold his birthright. Jacob now bought that inheritance. Click Kodak moment. Jacob the opportunist. Move ahead a little bit. Isaac, Jacob's father, is dying. Esau goes out to get some wild game to feed him his special broth, his special stew. Along with his mother, Rebecca, they come and they do a, a whole serenade here and they pass 
Jacob off as Esau with hair on his arms, remember? And, and finally the, the dying father who couldn't see said, is this Esau the one whom I'm to give the covenant blessing to? And Jacob didn't tell the truth. He said, oh yes, this is Esau. He said, well, the voice is Jacob, but, but the smell of the, of the animals and the hair on the arm they put there, this is Esau. So he gave the covenant blessing, which was a spiritual blessing upon which the Son of God would be born. It was a spiritual lineage he passed on. And now we see, click, Kodak moment, Jacob the liar. Then Esau comes back home. He says, let me tell you, when my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jake. I'm going to kill him. And then Jacob goes to God and goes to his mother, Rebecca, and says, you know, we'd better work out a deal here and say that I want to get married with God-fearing people from your family, Mom, and I want to go and be with Uncle Laban there. And so I'll not marry some pagan like my twin brother Esau did. And so he uses God. By the way, this is what happened in dysfunctional homes. God told me. God led me. You see, God gets in on the chicanery of Jake. He leaves home because he knows that Esau is going to kill him, and he acts like God is a part of the conspiracy along with his mother, who's just as duplicitous or more so than he is. And so he tells their father, I'm going to leave home so I can find a godly wife and I'll not be like my brother. His dad said, well, okay, under those circumstances, if God is leading you, click Kodak moment, Jacob the manipulator. And then Jake goes off and he gets married and he's there with his father-in-law and he says, how are you going to pay me? And Jake says, oh, just give me the speckled sheep and the spotted goats and you can have all the, the healthy goats. And most of them were not speckled and spotted. But you see, Jacob had found a way to breed even in that day where the, the healthy sheep and goats would come out speckled and spotted. And so before long, he had most of the flock. He was a, a wealthy, wealthy man and his father-in-law had very little Click, Jacob the shrewd, Kodak moment. So you see old Jacob there in the Bible very clearly. And you go through it and you say, click, Jacob the opportunist. Click, Jacob the liar. Click, Jacob the manipulator. Click, Jacob the shrewd. Does anybody want to go in business with Jake? Would you like to be his wife? Oh, he had a lot of money, a lot of prestige. You see what happened in his life that's dysfunctional? And we'll see next week what happened with his children. And you can look at your life as I've looked at my life and click Kodak moments, click Kodak moments, click Kodak moments. And before long, you have a, a file, you have a dossier, you have a tendency, you have a whole stream of evidence to see that this is why I'm like this and this is the problems in my life in these Kodak moments. And so we see the problem. Number one in America, dysfunctional families, families functioning dangerously, and that would cover many families here today. And we see the picture is so graphic, so graphic here. Now let's look at the prescription. And we're going to be dealing with it in the ensuing weeks and months. What is the prescription? It's our scripture. Train. We as parents have to understand we are in the training business. 
Train up a child in the way he should go. What's involved in training? I want us to look at three things. First of all, you have to model it. Model it. What am I talking about? If you're going to train, you have to, first of all, have in your life the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to have in your life that He gets the highest priority in what you do. You know the main problem with those who name the name of Christian in this church? It's a problem of faithfulness. Our problem is we're too affluent. Our problem is there are too many homecoming football games. Our problem is there are too many activities. Our problem is we can go here and visit here, and before long we wake up, we're not in God's house in Bible study and worship and preaching, but about once every other month or maybe twice one month, and we have long periods of absences. And then our children say, you know, our parents talk a good game about God and Christ but they really aren't faithful because any little thing. You see, company comes. Oh, uh, mama couldn't come. She was getting ready for company. We couldn't come to church because our folks came in or our children came in. Let me tell you something. One of the best witnesses we can ever give to family and friends and those who are of God and those who are not of God who come to our life to let them know that the highest priority every week for you and for me is to be in the house of the Lord regardless. You see, you have to model it. You have to model it where your children will look at mom and dad and say, let me tell you something, Jesus Christ is number one. The church and the body of Christ has the highest priority over any other consideration of pleasure or travel or any other activity on the face of this earth. And when you come to our home, they go to church and they invite others to go to church. That is the way we witness to our children. So we have to model it. Number two, if we're going to train, you have to discern. Discern, it means you have to watch. You have to observe. You have to play with. You have to listen. You have to go with. You have to get inside their life. You have to get down on their level. You have to see how, what is it, train of a child in the way he or she should go. Well, what is the way he or she should go? Well, it's the way I want them to go. I'm the father. I'm, oh, no, 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 no. It's the way God has wired them. It's the way God has put that DNA together. It's the way God has given them that personality. And you have to walk inside their life and get inside their heart and guess what? To discern, to touch, to wait, to listen. This is a prerequisite for training. Train up a child. You have to model it as best you can by the grace of God with the highest priority. Then you have to discern. You have to see how God has uniquely wired every one of your sons and every one of your daughters. Yeah, that takes listening. It takes time. A father journaled and a little boy kept a diary and they went fishing one day. And, and when they came back, little boy wrote in his diary, the greatest day in my life. My daddy took me fishing. The father wrote in his journal, wasted day, went fishing with my son. Let me tell you something. It takes time, quality 
time to discern, to see how that son, that daughter is uniquely wired. They're introverts, they're extroverts, what their interest is, what their heart is. They're, are, they, are they phlegmatic? Are they choleric? Are, are they melancholy? How they're wired. You got to find out. You got to get inside their heart and their life and their vocabulary and their interest. When you model it, Jesus Christ, highest priority. When you spend time discerning how they're wired, then guess what? You can teach them. You can teach them. I want you to mark this down and listen to this if you get anything else I say. Listen carefully. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Let me say it again. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You say, all right, this is, this is what you're going to do and this is what you're not going to do. I'm the head of this house. I want to tell you, this is how we operate. One, two, three, four, five. We set down our rules. We set down our parameters. We assert ourselves. Right, this is how, this is what you can do. This is what you cannot do. Man, these are dogmatic. These are rules. These are principles. Let me tell you something. You're wasting your breath Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. People wonder, why I have rebellious children? I, I've laid down the rules. I've done all right. The relationship was not there. Go back to number one. Model, discern, build the relationship. Rules, discipline. Some of you are not on a spanking relationship with your children. You can't discipline them. You have no grounds to discipline them. Because there's not a relationship there. The same things work with God. We come up and say, boy, God, I have to keep all those Ten Commandments. And, and there's all those principles that God says about the Christian life. Man, I just can't do them. I don't want to do them. And that's, and that's cutting into my freedom. You see, rules without a relationship. When you have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ, you've invited him to take over your life. And then he gives you the power and the rules and the principles of Christian living become easy and they flow out from your life and flow out from my life. You see, rules without a relationship and our relationship with God is the same thing as is our relationship with our children or our mates for that matter. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules, principles, discipline with relationship leads to joy and harmony and a wholeness in your life with God and your life with your children and with your mate. So, model faithfulness. Some people here are going to make some radical changes in your scheduling. Model it, faithfulness, God's house, His things. Number two, discern. Watch, listen, touch. Ongoing thing, discern. Number three, then you can teach. You're teaching by example. You're teaching by word. You can set down boundaries because there is a relationship there. They picked up an old hound female. They adopted it as their pet. The dog, she got pregnant. But one day she was running after the lawnmower and, and the dog slipped and had both of her hind legs cut off. They picked up the mother dog-to-be and rushed her to the vet, and the vet says, you know, I can sew up her legs and save her life, or 
we can put her to sleep. The puppies are fine. She'll be able to deliver them. And the master said, save her life. And so the vet sewed her up. And a few weeks later, a few days later, really, she learned how to walk all over again without her hind legs. She'd put one paw forward, another part forward, and she'd slide her bottom. And one paw forward, another paw forward, she'd slide her bottom. And sure enough, in a week or so, the puppies were born. Everyone was healthy. Six little puppies, six of them. And they had, of course, four legs. They were healthy in every way. And the mother dog, she nursed them and she weaned them. And when they learned how to walk, they walked just like she did. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.